The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. What should we be afraid of? It's not an easy question in an age when the potential dangers include runaway artificial intelligence, catastrophic climate change, school shootings, not to mention the more everyday terrors of accident and disease. It can be tough to know what to panic about first or whether to panic at all. My guest this week, the psychologist David Myers, has written a book called How We Know Ourselves, Curiosities and Marvels of the Human Mind. And in it, he identifies some of the many cognitive biases that cause us to overweight some dangers and underweight others. We often fear the wrong things. We fret about vividly publicized but highly improbable horrors while ignoring greater risk. Dramatic catastrophes make us gasp, while statistical probabilities we barely grasp. Thus, we may fear airline flights more than driving. Though over the last decade, driving has been, per mile traveled, 501 times more likely to kill us. Or consider COVID. In a Gallup World Poll of more than 100,000 people, 39% of those over 65 were understandably, quote, worried about their health under COVID. But among those 18 to 29, despite having more than a hundredfold lower death risk, a similar 40% expressed COVID fears. Moreover, fully vaccinated people who have little to fear from COVID are more likely to fear it than our unvaccinated people who are at many times greater risk of serious harm. And how many parents agonize about statistically rare terrorist acts or school shootings or child abductions while not bothering to strap their child into a car seat? But whatever makes national news and captures our attention is, by definition, something that rarely happens and thus something that, the horrific, is actually less to be feared than the undramatic ongoing threats that claim lives one by one, as in the some 40,000 lives taken each year, that's about 100 per day in the U.S., by suicidal, homicidal, and accidental gun deaths. The moral is this. If we really care about minimizing tragedy and suffering, we should not let our feelings hijack our thinking. Next to the evil and emotions of a school shooting or being eaten by a shark, Statistics seem cold, I know, but exaggerated fears of an infinitesimal risk do their own form of harm. So let's focus not on the last bad thing, but on actual risks associated with everything from guns to climate change. Numbers matter. Risk statistics matter because the real risks to lives everywhere matter. For those we know and with whom we empathize, and for those unseen and in the future for whom it's so difficult to feel empathy. This is a tough one, especially this week. Unfortunately, we're faced with another national news story about a school shooting. And I feel like we could say that almost any week we spoke. These are increasing, I believe, and in a way that might be statistically meaningful. But even beyond that, it is hard to not just look at these events with absolute horror and that feeling 
can govern our responses in ways we can't quite control. Is that, would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. We're having this conversation, Michael, on the day after yet another horrific school shooting that simply, I mean, it just uh, appalls us and appropriately so. And so we're taking steps to protect children in schools. We're investing hundreds of millions of dollars in securing schools. And yet even that understandably leaves parents and children frightened about their risks when going mm -hmm. to school or their risks of a mass shooting. So there's a reason why people become very afraid. Mm -hmm. And that reason, by the way, we call in psychological science the availability heuristic, to use the fancy word given us by Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winning psychologist. And the availability heuristic is the tendency to estimate how frequently events happen and threaten us based on mentally available images, based on the ease with which instances of that thing come to mind. Mm -hmm. And so a horrific school shooting is readily available. It's cognitively available. It tends then to hijack the mind and to override any other information about the actual frequency with which people die in school shootings vis-a-vis -vis guns in the home, car accidents, every other form of life risk, which statistically is that, are these are actually much greater life risks. And so we may then overfear things that are dramatic, vivid, horrific, right. but statistically improbable, and underestimate our vulnerability to things that are more commonplace, but that don't dramatically make the news. And thus we fear flying in a plane more than driving in a car, even though driving in a car is more than 500 times more dangerous mile per mile. And of course, you're not saying that police departments and school officials shouldn't treat these as possible events that they need to be prepared for. It's more that we as individuals need to measure our fear comparatively to other maybe more salient risks. Right. Humans have a great deal of difficulty calibrating risk. And so we tend often to fear the wrong things, to overfear unlikely but very vivid, tragic, horrific, newsworthy events. School shootings and mass shootings outside of schools are horrific events. And because they're so terrible and because they lead to great fears, we need to do what we can to prevent them, absolutely. Uh, I'm yeah. not trying to downplay the, the the horror of those things. However, they can lead us to underestimate and underprotect ourselves against greater risks, such as guns in the home, which kill some 40,000 Americans a year, yeah. many, many more than are killed in mass shootings or school shootings. And so if we want to think smart, what we want to do is, it sounds cold, but we want to think statistically. We, we should look at the data mm -hmm. to see what the real risks are and then to establish protective policies and public spending and personal choices that are mindful of reality. I do wonder though sometimes when I hear you talk about this and when I read Daniel Kahneman about cognitive biases, it does strike me that, you know, we humans are irrational beings. I mean, can we ever really become great calibrators of probability and you know calculating risks accurately? Is it asking too much to expect people to be that rational? 
even Daniel Kahneman has said he himself experiences the very biases on which he reports. So he is not immune to them. I'm not immune to them. You're not immune to them. And there's some biological wisdom in our attuning to things that capture our attention because historically, those were real risks. But we now have today a new set of risks having to do with everything from toxins to various forms of travel mm -hmm. to risks of guns in various contexts for which it makes rational sense to look at the data. And that's part of becoming an educated person mm -hmm. is to think scientifically to some extent. Again, it sounds cold. I don't mean to be cold, but sometimes our intuitive fears lead us astray. And so part of thinking smarter is looking at the facts of life. Yeah, I mean, it's it sort of, to use Daniel Kahneman's term, thinking slower, right? Thinking We have our thinking fast and thinking slow. Right. And both are important, but if you're going to make a decision, if you're going to choose your actions, maybe you want to make sure you've taken the time to think slow. Yeah. Now, for many things, it doesn't warrant our taking the time. We can't do that kind of analysis in all kinds of everyday life situations. So we think fast. We use the heuristic that guides our instant judgment. Mm -hmm. But if it's establishing a public policy and deciding if we're going to spend a billion dollars, how could we save the most lives with that billion dollars? Or if we're going to impose new federal regulations for highway traffic safety or for airbags in cars or whatever. Mm -hmm. It makes sense to go through the rational calculation and see how we can get the most human lives saved per dollar spent. That's thinking smart and not just thinking emotionally, not just letting emotions hijack our mind. You also mentioned, I think, climate change is one of those things that probably and statistically is going to be very meaningful to a lot of people's health and, and longevity, but it's harder to see. It's it's not it's harder to focus on. We don't doesn't play into the availability heuristic quite as well. So it's it's hard for people to actually make any choices based on it, it seems. Exactly. So climate change is largely a future disaster, although we are now seeing extreme weather instances that are making it more readily available to our cognition. And so concern is starting to rise now in the general public about the climate crisis. But other things like school shootings that are right now, right in front of us on tonight's news, those capture our emotions and our attention. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow, David will be back to share some fascinating research about self-consciousness. The studies contain good news if there's something you don't like about your appearance, because the fact is, people aren't paying as much attention to you as you think they are. On the other hand, the bad news is, people aren't paying as much attention to you as you think they are. What's known as the spotlight effect is a double-edged sword, and David will explain it tomorrow. Or you can hear all the key insights from David's book right now on our Next Big Idea app, available wherever you get your apps. And if you'd like all the best new nonfiction ideas in your inbox, sign up for my newsletter using the link in the episode notes. I'm Michael Kovnett. See you tomorrow. <laughs>